All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again. I thank you for this beautiful day. Lord, sometimes us Southern Californians can take our weather for granted. We thank you so much that we can worship outside. Thank you for this cool breeze. Thank you for the fellowship we can have together to worship together. And Lord, we just pray as we set this time aside, set our minds, Lord God, on you. We pray that your spirit would speak to us, stir in us, convict us. And we just pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified in this time. So may we just sit at your feet and hear your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever done something that some may consider outrageous or out of the norm of what other people would think would be normal. Are you, maybe you've done something that someone would say, are you crazy? How many of you have ever had someone say that? Are you crazy? Are you nuts? Are you out of your mind? Right? I don't know. How many of you, by nature, you would probably tend to do something that someone would say, are you crazy? How many? <laughs> Someone is definite about this one. Uh, how many of you, how would you say, if you went skydiving, that's crazy? How many of you say that would be crazy to go skydiving? Okay. So, how many of you say that would be the norm? That would be like, hey, there's nothing wrong with skydiving. All right. There's a few people here. How many would say cycling 500 miles down the coast of Southern California would be crazy? How many of you say that's crazy? Ah. <laughs> How many say that's normal? <laughs> all right, yeah, all right. the cycling crew, that's normal. How many would say getting married with zero in your savings account is crazy? <laughs> we have some parents. How many of you would say, hey, that's good? <laughs> all right. <laughs> How many of you would say being outspoken about your faith in a hostile environment to your faith is crazy? Maybe let me paint a scenario. You're in class. I've been in this situation. Your professor is just just chopping down, knocking in Christianity, Christian faith, and and really accusing Christians of, of being whatever it may be, how many would say it's crazy to lift your hand up and say, uh, excuse me? I would think I was crazy. All right, we got a bunch of liars here. <laughs> how many would say that's just, hey, that's normal? That would be my normal. Okay. See, crazy and being out of your minds can kind of be a bit... Um, uh, a relative label. What may be crazy for some may not be so crazy for others. Are you out of your mind? For some, it would be. For others, not so much. For the unbelieving world, Christians will be seen as crazy. Are you out of your mind? And that would be flattering terms that they may use. Lately, you may have heard the terms intolerant, hateful, bigots. 
Christians done a poor job representing their faith? At times, yeah. But I'd venture, I'd give you, I'd propose that that's not the only reason why we may get those terms as hateful, bigots, intolerant. Who does your mind belong to? I've been talking about that the last couple of weeks, right? We talked about who does your heart belong to last week, last couple of weeks. Who does your mind belong to? We've been looking at having a renewed mind. When you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit wants to transform our minds to have a changed mind. And we talked about last week, the starting point of having a renewed mind needs to start with our understanding of God. Do we have the right understanding of who God is, his character, his nature, who he is? Because how we understand God is going to set the standard of how we're going to deal with everything else in our life. How we're going to see our life, how we're going to understand ourselves, how we're going to understand the interactions we have. What circumstances that happen to us. How we understand God is going to be critical to how we deal with it. Because how many of us can attest life situations, circumstances, when they happen to us, they truly challenge how we see God. Right? I'm sure we've all been in situations, negative situations, trauma, circumstances, whatever it may be. And they challenge us, make us question who we think God is. How does God see us? And how do we deal with the world? So this leads again to the importance of, well, we need to be rooted in the word. We need to be plugged into the word. We need to let God's word direct us. Let it be the filter for how we take in information. Because there's going to be a lot of voices in this world. We're going to get to that in today's message. A lot of people with a lot of opinions about to try to tell us what we used to understand God to be. How we need to see ourselves. How we understand the world we're living in. So how do we di differentiate between truth? What should we believe? And I mentioned a little bit last week about our mind is like a battlefield. There's a war going on in our minds. There's a constant war and a battle. And each idea that we have in our life is like a little battlefield. So think about that scenario. I don't know how many of you play video games where you're, you're, you're like, you're in war with another, the opposition, okay? Think of your mind as a battlefield. And each idea is a little conflict, right? Just like video games, I don't know if you play Call of Duty or you play whatever video games, where you're trying to conquer the other, Right? Y'all know on the map, parents, I don't know if I'm losing you at this point or not, but I got your kids, right? So if you're looking at whatever video game you're playing, each little location is a little, little spot that you want to take over. Depending upon the game, different sites may be key in claiming victory. If you know anything about war, you know this is the case. Right? Little spots or little battlefields. If you get that, closer you are to victory. And there are some locations that are key to winning the war. Think of your mind as the battlefield, as the war. Each idea represents a small battlefield. 
your idea of God, your self-image, your purpose, what you see your purpose to be, your faith, right? Your health, your family, your marriage, your kids, race, politics, your identity, how you identify yourself, your attraction, all those things are little battlefields in this war that goes on in our minds. And the battle lines are clearly drawn. The battle lines are clearly drawn. There's, this, there's a distinct battle line. And that's what we're going to get to today. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 8. We're still in... Oh, boy, my throat. I think I need some water. We're still in Romans 12. And I mentioned Friday... This is the longest I've ever spent on two verses. But I promise you, next week, or two weeks, we're going to continue in chapter 12. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, we see some battle lines that are drawn. It says this, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So battle lines are being drawn. What does Paul mean by set your mind? They set their minds. When you set your mind to something, you're focused. How many have ever heard the phrase, you can do anything if you do what? Oh yeah, you're masked, huh? You, you, you can do whatever you want if you set your mind to it. What does that mean? It means that you have set your attention, your focus, your desires, and not only that, you're going to set a plan, right? You're going to follow through with whatever your heart's desire is, what you're focused on, and you're going to accomplish it to set your mind. So it's not just thinking about something, but it's setting your desires toward it and your actions toward it. So when Paul says to set your mind, he says those who are of the Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit your mind is set on the Spirit. Your mind will reflect it. Your thoughts will be influenced. Your focus will change. And your desires will go from one direction and will start going the other direction. Maybe you won't be offended by, you'll be offended by certain things more than you used to. Your attitudes towards some things will change. It says that your mind, the mindset on the spirit is what? Life and peace. Why is that? Because that's who God is. That's who the spirit is. The spirit is life. The spirit wants to give us peace. Think about that. If you set your mind on the spirit, the spirit is life, gives life and peace. 
His love gives us life. God is righteous and holy. So if the more we're focused on him, naturally it would affect us. We set our minds on a holy God. That holiness will impact us. We seek him for peace. He'd give us peace. It makes sense. But that's one side of the battle line. What's on the other side of the battle line? What does he say? A mindset on what? The flesh. What does that mean? That you're focused on your desires. The lust of your eyes, what you see, what you want. The lust of your pride, right? The pride of life. What will boost your ego, your self-centeredness. And your physical desires. If your mind is set on your those things, then your body is going to go that way. Right? Now, I don't want to get this wrong. Sometimes we get a little bit confused as Christians. God created us to experience pleasure. Amen? Amen. Amen. But what is the catch in that? Not every pleasure is what? Not every pleasure is good for us, is it? We hear a lot of the mantra today, do what will make you happy, right? I have you said that. Do whatever will make you happy. But what if it'll only result in you making you making you feel empty? Have you thought of that? Do whatever will make you feel happy. But what if that one thing that you think will make you feel happy at the end of the day just makes you feel empty? Do what makes you feel good. If you feel good doing it, it must be good doing it, right? But what if that good that you're pursuing will only lead you to destructive consequences? You know, one saving grace that God protected me from in college was drinking. By the way, I, my, my wife and I, we don't drink. In, the, in times past, we've been given gifts and been given like bottles of wine. Please don't. Just want to give you a heads up. If, 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 if we receive it, we'll receive it graciously, but we don't. I'll just share my, my reason. The reason why I don't. It's because it would destroy me. It would destroy me. I would too easily go to it when I'm feeling emotional. Life circumstances are hard. I know myself enough. It would destroy me. Whatever feelings of good that I think I would get out of it. You see, that's the problem. With alcohol, drugs. What's at the end of it? An empty bottle. Right? Isn't that appropriate? See, the whole mantra of today, do what makes you feel happy, do what makes you feel good, you want to do it, you pursue and do it, there may be some truth to that. It depends on where your mind is set. Where is your mind set? Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16. He says that Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? See what Jesus is getting at? When you follow Jesus, you are giving ownership of your life. And you say, all right, 
This no longer belongs to me. This belongs to you. And a lot of people are scared off by that. Man, my, my voice is like, maybe I'm feeling it more today. I don't know. <laughs> Many people are scared off by that. What do you mean I have to give off ownership of my life? But let me ask you, who do you trust more? Do you trust yourself more than God? If you trust yourself more than God, you either haven't lived long enough or you haven't lived honestly enough. Do you trust the world more than God to set the course of your life? And you think about it, what will it profit a man? He gains everything but loses his soul. If God gave you everything you wanted, the way you wanted it, do you think you would be better off? Do you truly think that? Because if he was to give us everything we wanted, when we wanted, how we wanted, you know what would happen to us? We would do exactly what Jesus said. We would be willing to forfeit our soul to get what we want. It would not lead us closer to the Lord. We have to be honest and, and, and real with how we are. Look what James says in chapter 4, verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow, that may be hard to hear. But he compares being a friend to the world like an adulterer. Like you're cheating on God. If you're friends with the world, it makes an enemy of God. What does that mean? Does that mean we can't be friends with any unbelievers, non-believers? No, that's not exactly what it's saying. Jesus, when he talks to this, uh, he's talking of the disciples, he's praying to the Father, John 17. He asks the Father, do not take them out of this world, but keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Set them apart. Thy word is truth. Jesus knows that he, we can't be fully separated physically from the world. This is the world we're living in. We work with people who, are, who have different faiths. Our family may consist of people who have different faiths or beliefs. We can't maybe physically separate ourselves, but we need to set ourselves apart. Our presence can have a purpose in the life of unbelievers, but we have to understand that focus. We have to understand, and we'll get to that later on in the sermon series, that if we have unbelievers in our life, we have to make sure that our influence on them is greater than their influence on us. Because if their minds are set on a worldly standard, that is in opposition of God. And if we as believers in Christ set our minds to the spirit, that our mindset has to be in contrast to the rest of the world. There has to be a difference. Because if they're influencing you more than you're influencing them, the enemy is winning. You understand that? Battlefield in your minds. If their influence is stronger on you, on your faith, if you're seeing that your faith is being dimmed by what's going on, 
You're losing the battle in that area. You're losing the battle. You're losing the purpose of what God can have for you in their life. And if you cannot sustain that, I would challenge you to question and maybe step out of that relationship or those situations. If your faith cannot grow and be strong in the midst of it. Because you're hindering them. Think about that. If they know you as a Christian, but they can't see the difference, there's no contrast, there's no difference in how you live your life, how you do things, how you think, how you talk, then there's no reason for them to come to Christ. They can't see the reason. Set their minds. The battle line is drawn. And who's on the other side? We have an enemy. The Bible is very clear. Satan is our enemy. If you have your, your bulletins, these slides are on the, on the bottom. I'm not going to go through all of these. But here's what Satan is known as in Scripture. Father of lies. A counterfeit angel of light. A murderer. An accuser of the brethren. Ruler of demons. God of this age. Prince of the power of the air. Ruler of darkness. Ruler of this world. That is the enemy we are facing in all of those battlefields that we have in our minds. The enemy wants to deceive us, whether it's through pleasure or pain, through things that we enjoy or things that we hate. The enemy will use to deceive whatever to win those battlefields in our minds. What are those battlefields? Just like in war, where's war fought on? General war, right? There's kind of three general areas, right? Land, sea, and air, right? That's generally, you know, who knows in space what's going to happen in the future, right? But basically, land, sea, and air, that's where battles are usually fought. And the battlefields in our minds, usually in three areas, how we see God, how we see our world, and how we see ourselves. Those are general areas, and there's some specific subcategories and all those things. But just, just briefly look at those battlefields. How we see God. These battlefields are not common. In fact, if you read scripture, the early church, the early church wrestled with these very things. How they saw God, how they understand God, how they saw themselves, how they understand the world. And one of the areas that Satan uses to attack how we see God is false doctrine, false teaching, distorting of the gospel. That was, that was plaguing the early church from the beginning. False teaching, false doctrine. In fact, you know, throughout the New Testament, Jesus warned against false teachers and false Christ. Paul warned against another gospel. Peter warned against false prophets and teachers. The apostle John warned against false prophets and deceiving spirits. Jude warned against distortions of the truth. It's all throughout the New Testament. Why? Because as these apostles, these, these founders of the church, they're dealing with the believers. They're seeing all this false doctrine creep in. It's sneaky. So it existed from the beginning of the church. It's plagued the church throughout. And we need to be careful about false doctrine. Because frankly, today, so many believers, so many Christians, churchgoers, are uneducated when it comes to the word of God. The amount of knowledge they know about the word is caught in a quote in someone's tweet or some worship song. Right? That's all they know about the Bible. The celebrities are teaching you about God with their tweets or quotes. 
you need to get a little more educated. Paul talks about if, if, a, if anyone, whether themselves or an angel, preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. It says that in Galatians 1. Don't water down the gospel. The gospel is not about seeking the favor of men. Look, I got to admit, I'm going to tell you honestly. I, I, I don't purposely, I, I'm not an entertainer. I don't try to be. If I tried to entertain you all, it would fall flat. So I understand that. I also understand that the message I may give to you may not be everything you want to hear on a given Sunday. The gospel is not really about that. It's not about just hearing what you want to hear. It's not to appeal to our pleasures. But the gospel will give you pleasure. Ultimate pleasure. But it's not to appeal to the crowds. We don't water down the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about don't be like children tossed around like waves with every wind of doctrine. What someone believes, that's what you follow. What else someone else says about God, that's what you follow. Timothy talks about, but the Spirit explicitly says in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. If it's not truth, then it's a distortion of truth. If it's a distortion of truth, where's the source coming from? The idea that it's a doctrine of demons, that could be a scary thought. But so many times it's packaged in such a way that it just sounds so good. Boy, that sounds easy. That sounds great. Students, how many of you are in college or you're a few years away from college? All right, there's some of you here. You don't have to show your hands. How many of you, if you remember being in college, you're approached by people who claim to be Christians? I remember I worked at a music store back when there was music stores. I was a clerk and I was shelving, I was stocking stuff. And I noticed somebody who was standing on the other side of the aisle. You know, you got this feeling you're being watched. <laughs> all right, all right. Someone is doing it's like they're, they're filling their CDs, but there's really, back when you had CDs, okay? They're filling through the stuff and they're really not doing it with purpose. So as I'm going around, I keep my eye on it, they seem to kind of trail and follow. So I knew, all right, something is up. And sure enough, that conversation happened. Started talking to me, and they started talking to me about church. Hey, what church do you go to? Now in San Diego, there's a big Christian cult that's out there that's, that's prevalent. And um, so right away, I knew what, what the dialogue was going to be. The challenge is talking about church, and oh yeah, I go to this church. Oh, that's great. Well, and they were trying to get me to go to their church. But you get more investigation, you know. And so I realized I just, I just had to cut it. I'm like, you know what? I'm working here. We, 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 if we dialogue, we're not going to get anywhere. But I said, I'm good. I know the Lord. I know Christ. We're set. I'm good. But there's people out there. They know the Christian lingo. They know. They know the words and the verses. But in it is disguised this false doctrine, this false gospel. Here's some things to center on. What, what fundamentals should you know? And I'm going to just briefly go through this. Know the fundamentals of your biblical faith. How can you separate what is a cult, what is false doctrine, false gospel? One, you've got to know the God's nature and character. That's foundational. Right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, eternally existent. Get to know the character of God in Scripture. 
his nature, that he's holy, righteous, loving, just, merciful, all those things. Who is Jesus? That is critical. That's the main thing that's going to differentiate Christianity with all the other faiths. Who is Jesus? He's the eternal Son of God, perfect, sinless, sacrifice for sin, resurrected Lord. He's coming again. There's foundational understandings of who Jesus is that you have to know and understand. Your need for salvation is critical. If anyone's saying that you don't need salvation, that there is no sin, here's your warning sign. We all need salvation. We all need Christ's forgiveness. We all need redemption. Sin broke our relationship with the Father. But there's a means of salvation. What is that means of salvation? It's through Christ. Christ on the cross paid for our sin. We talked about that weeks ago. That should be foundational to your knowledge. If there's anyone who preaches any other way to the Father but through Jesus, you need to take a step back and say, oh, warning signs. Hold up. Right? Eternal life. Eternity with God. Jesus' return. There's eternal consequences. All right, these are foundational things that you need to understand. And if you're shaky in understanding that, you need to be in your word because there's so much false teaching out there. There's so many who wants to draw you in, appeal to you. Like what's worth living is everything we can achieve here on earth. Prosperity on earth. Be careful. So the battlefield of who we understand God to be. False doctrine, false teaching is so prevalent right now. And I want to just be careful. Just because they use terms of Jesus and heaven and die, whatever. you got to understand. Know the fundamentals. Secondly, worldly thinking. How we see our world. These days, there are so many influencers. Social media influencers. People out there who want to influence our lives. Get us to tell us how we are to think. You know, those of you who are still students in your education system, it seems like the education system today, there's an agenda more than just teaching you information and factual information. They're teaching you their opinions about things, how you are to think, trying to mold how you're to see things, how are you to understand the world you're living in, how you understand and identify certain things. And you need to be careful. God is very clear, the wisdom of this world and my wisdom is not the same. Not all wisdom is the same. Let me just read one verse to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19. In your slides, you'll have three verses. Let me just read one for the sake of time. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise and their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. Ouch. <laughs> but God makes a contrast. Yes, there's some wise counsel that the world, some people in the world may give you. Right? There may be some unbelievers give you some good financial advice. Some good legal advice. There may be some good advice, good wisdom there. But compared to God's wisdom, it's useless. It's foolishness. Who are we seeking after to influence our thinking? Our minds. I challenge, we challenge parents on last Friday night. When you become a parent, I told Pastor Andy this, I said this in ministry, you know, as a youth pastor, when my kids weren't in teenage years, 
I was always telling parents, man, you know, you got to get your kids to Bible study. Church is important. God, it's about God. You got to get them to go test. Well, they should study beforehand. They can study after. It was easy for me to say it. And I was vermin. But once my kids got into middle school and into schools where you felt the academic pressure, I'm thinking, do they really have to go to church tonight? <laughs> College? Hmm. Do they need to have all their plans sorted out like I, I envision? Parents, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the worldly thinking of how we ought to see life, how we ought to see the world. It's so deceptively easy. But who is influencing our thinking? For the sake of time, let's go to the third one. Worldly patterns, our lifestyle. How we see ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Paul says that you are dead in your trespasses and sin. You walked formally according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Notice what Paul is associating with your former life. Outside of Christ. The ways of the world. Against the power of the air, the spirit that's working, the sons of disobedience. That's what we're leaving behind. That's how you used to live. That's how you used to indulge your desires of the flesh. But that's not you anymore. So much of our identity growing up is catered to and molded after the way the world sets you for us. This is how you're supposed to look as a kid. This is how you're supposed to act as a boy or a girl. This is how you're supposed to do all these things. And all those things. But then now it's morphing and changing. The world is trying to tell you how you ought to be. How you ought to act. How you ought to look. Follow your own desires. Whatever you wish. Whatever you want to do. So what do we do in the midst of these battlefields? That goes on. Again, I ask you, are you out of your mind? That question is twofold. One, are you crazy enough? Are you out of your mind to step out of the patterns of the world? To say, all right, if I have to stand out for the sake of not being, not following through, am I willing to do it? But also, are you out of your mind? Meaning, are you out of what you used to do? Have you stepped out of that already? I want us to protect our hearts and minds with biblical thinking. So what do we need to do? We need biblical thinking here. We mentioned the verse 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be fully equipped, adequate for every good work. It will tell you if you're off course. It will tell you how to see the things that you're encountering in your life. This is enough. It will help you. Trust me. But what we need to do with Scripture 1, examine the whole of Scripture and be students of the Word. Don't approach the Bible as your buffet line. I hope we get to a point where we can go to buffets again. I hope so. But if you're like the buffet line, you see all the whole spread, you look at it, like, oh, I like that. You grab some of that. 
A lot of old crab legs, I'm getting a bunch of those. Are you a hoarder of crab legs? Have you seen those people when they just get plates full? Oh, those veggies? I don't like that. I'm not going to touch that. This? Oh, yeah, I'll have that. And your plate is full of things that just what you want. If your parents get your food, what is it? The plate full of all stuff that, oh, I don't like this. Why they give me this? I don't want that. Don't treat scripture like a buffet line. You read it and say, I don't like the sound of that. I'm not going to believe that one. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I'll, have, I'll, I'll take that. That sounds good. That's encouraging. You need to have the whole of scripture in mind. That's how you understand God. Take the whole of scripture. So it takes time. You learn about God more and more as you go along. The second thing, don't sit in your mess. It stinks. I don't know if you ever had that happen. If you let your car get a little messy. I don't know if you're messy people or not or your room. If you let it sit long enough, what happens? You become numb to the smell. You get numb to the mess. And it takes someone who walks in your car and says, oh, it's like something died in here. Or your parents finally open your door in your room. You have laundry all over the place. You're like, what's wrong with it? It's like you have dirty clothes. When you take your word, scripture, don't sit in your mess. In other words, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and tensions of the heart. Look, when you read this, God is going to speak to your heart. Hopefully at some point in time in the sermons on Sunday, God is going to convict you of something, challenge you, make you feel uncomfortable. If I haven't made you feel uncomfortable about anything that's going on, either you were listening or I wasn't doing my job. Right? When we hear scripture, we can't just sit in our mess. We can't just sit in the same old thoughts. You battle depression. You won't overcome depression if that's all you're focused on. If you're angry, if you have problems with anger, you won't change if all you're doing is focused on what is causing you to be angry, and that's how you're seeing it. If you're struggling with addictions, you're not going to break free from it if that's all your mind is set on. We can't just sit in our mess and expect someone else to come clean it up. We have to be willing when we're in the Word to let God transform our mess. Third thing, pray for godly wisdom and discernment. <clears throat> when you turn on the news, when you're looking at the world, when you step into your classroom, students, whether you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, you're getting your doctorate, whatever it may be, <clears throat> listen with discernment and godly wisdom, please. Be discerning. Whatever news channel you choose to watch, listen to it with discernment and godly wisdom. How do I respond to this? How do I respond to this issue? How do I respond to what this teacher is saying? Refocus your vision. Let God set your focus. Not on your flesh, but on the spirit. <coughs> Lastly, I'll say this. Don't humanize God or Jesus. What do I mean by that? Don't try to make God just like any other man or person. <coughs> we tend to lower God to what we want him to be. 
and we elevate ourselves. God is God. <coughs> we understand him based on who we who he is, not who we want him to be. That's so important. I, I, I spent a lot of time these last few weeks on this because especially today, <coughs> excuse me, this day and age, the world is being aggressive and trying to mold your thoughts and opinions and beliefs. If you're not seeing it, the world is becoming increasingly hostile to Christian faith. And it's going to be harder for you young people to be willing to be distinguished from the crowd. Doesn't mean you have to dress totally different. I mean, I don't know. But you have to have a contrast because the world needs to see it. The people who are hurting in this world needs to see the difference. And maybe that's why if God puts you in the life of an unbeliever, be the contrast they need to see, they need to hear. And I don't know if they'll be willing. I don't know if they'll be open to hear the gospel. I don't know. You may not know either. But don't find yourself losing the battles. Don't find yourself being influenced by them more than the gospel influencing them. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, that you are an awesome and mighty God. And you've given us your word to instruct us, to warn us, convict us, teach us, lead us. And Lord, we're living in a very hostile time to Christian faith. Lord, I pray you would build us up, strengthen us, help us to have a stubborn faith that won't back down, won't give in, won't be deceived by the influence of the world. We set our minds to you, Lord. May our minds truly belong to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand in this room.